0: God's, we're going to turn to God's Word, into Genesis. Could I have the slides up, please, Kirsty, if that's possible? Now, you can see on the screen my title for today, and uh, at home, I have a letter written to me, and uh, it's got my, got my name on, it's come from my doctor's surgery, and uh, it's told me that I've reached the age where I need to start going for checks. Um, I've got to that stage, so I've done nothing about it, of course, being a good man. I've left it in the drawer, and uh, it's filed for a day when I feel like I need to go, um, because that's what we do. Because at the moment, I feel like I'm all right, but I know that when I go, they'll check a few things. um, they want to know what my height and weight are, and what my exercise is like, what my diet's like. um, Those sort of things, really, are the main things they're checking, because there's a big issue around uh, coronary heart disease and, and just trying to keep us well. And uh, they'll also check if I smoke or how much I drink and all those sort of things. And it's a fairly simple thing to go and answer those questions. Now, a few years ago, I had a funny feeling in my chest for a little while. And uh, Judith checked my pulse and it went a bit odd. And uh, so she said, oh, better get yourself checked in. And I went down and they strapped me up to this machine and checked everything. Felt a bit odd, but everything was fine. And I was okay. And that was good. And we go to the doctors occasionally to, to get checked up, don't we? Well, we should do. Uh, to make sure we're okay. Now, this is a really pertinent issue at the moment, the condition of our heart. Um, Dot, who many of you will know from church here, uh, was feeling unwell a few weeks ago and um, went to the hospital because uh, she was feeling unwell, got actually taken in an ambulance, and um, we've updated a little bit with the prayer prayer needs for and thank you for praying for her. But she ended up having a triple heart bypass in London, And uh, in one of the hospitals there. And she's now back home and recovering at home and doing quite well. Um, But that's quite remarkable because she hadn't anticipated that. Uh, Several people had seen her just the day before. Uh, She went in doing her shopping and pottering about in town. And nobody had anticipated this sudden uh, kind of need for, for surgery in that way. I got news yesterday that a friend who's another pastor not too far away has suffered a heart attack in recent weeks. And uh, to praying for him as well. And just this, this sense of the, the vulnerability of our hearts physically. But also I want to talk particularly today about the vulnerability of our hearts kind of emotionally and spiritually and the danger actually of a heart attack uh, spiritually. Not a, not a physical one. I'm not going to tell you about your health. Um, there are other people better equipped to do that than I am. But I want to talk about our heart and guarding our heart. The Bible says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Different version says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. A- and I'm aware today that when you go to the docs, they're looking for a few things. They're probably looking for, for four things, uh, exercise, diet, smoking, um, weight, those sort of things. And, and I want to look at four things today from the Word of God that I think are danger signs for us about our own hearts. And we'll see that from God's Word. So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 39. And... Uh, Just to help us, we're going to arrive at this snippet of a story uh, without too much context. I need to give a little bit quickly. Joseph, uh, man in the Bible, man in the Old Testament, son of Jacob, has been dealt a bad hand by his brothers. He's been sold into slavery. And while he was a slave, he was working hard for his master, got treated well got given permission to do all sorts of things and then his master's wife tried to seduce him on multiple occasions and Sanya was talking about this last week but on multiple occasions she tried to uh, seduce him and he resisted temptation and resisted temptation and resisted temptation and said no, 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 no until one day uh, she tried again and she grabbed hold of his cloak, robe and he ran away and she accused him of rape or trying to rape her and he was thrown into prison. And so we pick up the story as Joseph is being thrown into prison for something he hasn't done. And the story says this, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, in the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him and he showed him him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph is it now in a dangerous situation. He was before in a dangerous situation as he's working in the house, Potiphar's out and Potiphar's wife is trying to be all seductive. We know that's a dangerous situation, but this is an equally dangerous situation, also a dangerous situation for his heart. I think there's four things that we can see from Joseph's story that are particular challenges. And the first one is this, injustice. All of us at some point will have suffered an injustice whether it was being told off for something we didn't think was our fault, whether it's being told off more severely for something we didn't think was that serious, or for being overlooked for something. There'll be all sorts of times we, we felt an injustice, wrongly accused, mistreated. Many times we will have suffered these sort of things. There's a story you may have picked up on this in the news just, just recently about a guy called Valentino Dixon. Did anybody see this story? Okay, a few of you. Okay, so Valentino Dixon's been in prison. He's just been released. He was in prison for 27 years. He's now 48. You can do the maths. Uh, He was quite a young man when he went to prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And uh, his story was picked up as a result of him doing some artwork in prison. And he sent it off to a, it got sent off to a golf magazine, Golf Digest in America. And uh, they loved his pictures, and, and uh, they published some of them. And somebody I just highlighted, for some reason, some investigators to his case. And they re-looked into his case and discovered that he, had, although he'd been near the crime scene, he hadn't actually fired the gun that shot the person that uh, had been shot. And uh, actually somebody else then confessed to the crime. And it turned out they had already confessed to the crime quite a few years earlier, but nothing had been done about it. So this guy had been in prison for 27 years for a crime he didn't commit. That's a grave injustice. I can't imagine what it would have begun to have felt like to have no power, no control over your destiny, no ability to get out, and you haven't done the very thing you're there for. Now, as far as I know, none of us have been in that situation, but some of us face injustices that, we, that feel perhaps akin to what this guy is feeling, though not in the same magnitude. Thank you. preacher. It's a danger point here for our hearts, and we can see this with Joseph when we look a little bit later on, and the story goes on that he's not in prison on his own. Some more people get thrown into prison too, and Pharaoh, the Egyptian ruler, has a cup bearer, someone who brings his drinks to him. They've probably tested them, make sure they're okay, and a baker, and Pharaoh has a bit of a bad do with these guys, throws them into prison, and they arrive too, and the story goes that they have dreams while they're in prison. And uh, Joseph notices that they're looking a bit sad one day and he says to them, why are you looking sad? And they say, well, we've had some dreams that we don't understand. And Joseph then goes on and says, well, the interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And so they tell him their dreams. And Joseph then tells them the interpretation. But Joseph doesn't just tell them the interpretation. He adds a little bit too. he, and he says this and he finishes with the interpretation. And then he says this, but when all goes well with you, this is to the cupbearer." Remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing wrong to deserve being put in a dungeon. Now, Joseph's in a dangerous place because he suffered injustice. Dangerous because we do several things when we've suffered injustice. Number one, we start to retell our story. Joseph's retelling his story. He's retelling the story of this injustice that's been done to him, and he's recounting it. And you notice that when you retell your story of injustice, you're always the hero or the victim. You're never the perpetrator. Whenever we're retelling our stories of things that have been done to us, I'm always the hero or the victim. Aren't you? This great thing was done to me. Feel sorry for me. Secondly, what we do is that we start to recruit others to our cause. We, we begin to gather others around and we tend not to go to the people who are critical to us, critical against us. We tend to go to the people who are slightly more favorable and we tell them first so we can get more sympathy. So the story not, doesn't go just our retelling but we get others to feel good about us and we feel better about ourselves and that's great for a time but it causes us damage in our hearts longer term. Thirdly, we remind ourselves of past injustice. I think Joseph is cl- quite clearly here remembering uh, not only being forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, but he's remembering what his brothers have done to him. And there are times when injustices tap into something that happened when we were younger or uh, previously, and it hurts because we join them up. We can't just separate this incident that's just happened from all the others that have gone on in our lives. And it kind of puts us, connects us back to those again. And we live with this sense of injustice. Now, what do we do about it? Well, the first thing I think to do is to be honest about it and recognize this is going on, to face up to the fact this is happening. But then we've got some choices we can make to make this better. Joseph makes a choice to serve. Uh, that passage I we had back here, um, Joseph makes a choice to serve in this place of injustice. I find this quite staggering. That in the place of injustice, he's serving faithfully and, and he's ends up in a situation where he's prospering in prison. He's thriving in prison. He's given responsibility in the bottom part of that bit on the screen. says the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. It, It sounds to me like Joseph could have got up and walked out of the prison if he wanted to. I can't verify that, but it sounds like he's got that much authority he could almost do whatever he wants and he could get out and I don't know if he could, but he, he's got so much authority. No attention is paid to anything under his care because he's committed to serving. I don't know what your injustice was. Promotion missed, a demotion, negative feedback, something someone said. Paul in the Bible was beaten and imprisoned and stoned and shipwrecked. By our measurements, we see that bad things happen to good people. And we say, this doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel right that bad things are happening to good people. I'm a good person. Why is this happening to me? Uh, and we, we kind of forget that actually our measuring isn't always very accurate. It's a bit ropey sometimes. And actually, God knows the secrets of our hearts just as he knows the secrets of everybody else's hearts. We, we get in danger in our heart because we carry injustice and it affects us. We carry it because it hurts and we recount the story and we relive it and we stay in it. But it does something deeper to us as well. When you're carrying injustice like this, it makes us the judge, not God. And this is the massive spiritual danger. That when we're carrying an injustice, we forget that God is the judge of all the earth. We're not. And we tend to try and work things out ourselves and justify it ourselves and argue it ourselves and get sympathy ourselves. As if we can make it better and yet instead... There will be one day when the Almighty will declare justice and he will make all things right. The God of all the earth will judge the earth. And I want to trust to that day rather than to fix everything myself now. So if injustice is done to you, by all means, appropriately follow up on that. If you can, deal with it with a person who's been unjust to you. But if you can't or if it's not safe to or if you're stuck, and like Joseph, you've got no choice, then trust it to God. Trust it to God because he is the judge of all the earth. There was something profound when Albert asked us to sing, um, you are God. You are God. Because God is above all and over all and in all, and he's awesome. And so in so saying you're God, we're saying, Lord, you reign and you rule. You're bigger than me. I can't work it out and you can. And so when you suffer injustice, that would be my encouragement to, to show that despite what you can't control, respond with what you can. Trusting God and service. Uh, the second thing we see is that's a danger to us is disappointment. Now, I've seen in my life that there are people who, uh, many of us can get into this place, that we, we're so hurt by disappointment that we avoid ever connecting with anybody. We avoid disappointment by not engaging with life. We never trust anyone. We keep people at arm's length, and that's tempting at some times. But this situation that Joseph's in, in a prison, is not what he had in mind. And it's just possible that you're looking at aspects of your life today and you're saying, this, this wasn't what I bargained for. This wasn't what I had in mind. This wasn't what I planned, what I expected, and this wasn't what Joseph planned. He's not living the dream right now. The dream was his brothers bowing down to him. The second dream was his parents bowing down to him. Joseph is not living the dream. He's in a prison. He's disappointed. He's disappointed. And there's danger for our hearts when we face disappointment. You know, at times it can feel like you're a film character, but you're in the wrong film. You should have been in a different one. You should have been in an adventure movie or something, and and you've just been put in the wrong film somehow. And it doesn't feel... Quite right. This wasn't what you signed up for. It wasn't what you expected. Your costume's wrong. For Joseph, he, he, he's meant to be wearing a coat that's special, that is either of many colours or it's, it's a significant one with long sleeves that gives him authority. This special coat. Uh, and he's not. He's wearing prison uniform. He's in the wrong place, wearing the wrong uniform at the wrong time with the wrong story, and he's disappointed. And that's dangerous to his heart. We all feel it. And it's okay to feel it for a time, but it's a dangerous place to stay. Disappointment's normal. Things don't work out. We try stuff and it doesn't work. We say things and then we can't do them. We struggle. We have trials. We have things that we don't anticipate. Disappointment is normal for us. But Joseph shows us how to turn our disappointment into an appointment with God. I want to notice a couple of bits in this passage. God's view of success is very different to ours. The last line on the screen says, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. If you and I were in prison unjustly for a crime we hadn't committed, that we wouldn't call that success. And yet the word of God refers to this as God giving Joseph success in everything he's doing. The word of God says that God was with Joseph Joseph in that place of injustice, in that place of disappointment. He's with him. God's view of success is very different to ours. Joseph was ready for God to move. And and this is one of the danger things for us with our own hearts is sometimes we can get so disappointed we, we miss what God wants to do. And it takes us inward to ourselves and we miss the present reality, the miracle that God wants to do right in front of us. And and we see that in the next little passage. This is when the cupbearer and the baker are, are in the prison. And they, Joseph comes to them the next morning and, and he sees that they're dejected. And he asks them, why do you look so sad? We both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them, they said. So Joseph said, don't interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And it struck me as I was reading this that, that Joseph noticed he noticed, he was aware enough of other people in the prison, despite the own, his own injustice, despite his own disappointment, he was ready to go, hang on a minute, you look sad. And it takes a brave and strong person to get beyond themselves and say, it doesn't matter about me right now, there's something not right with you. What's going on? And the danger for our hearts is that disappointment takes us inward. It keeps us small, keeps us caught up in what we don't have and we miss what God is doing. Joseph noticed What's going on? The Bible does have a lot of disappointed people in it. And it has a, there's a wonderful response that the Bible contains, the Word of God contains, to disappointment. And it's to turn our disappointment into something. As the Bible talks about lament. It's got a whole book called Lamentations, which is a book of lament. And this is dis- different from disappointment. So, I want us to read this passage and just see what's different in this about normal disappointment that we might feel day by day. It's Lamentations 3, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail, they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. In this passage, we find that the person who's writing is disappointed, they're afflicted, they're wandering, they're bitter, and they're remembering those things, and their soul is downcast. There is no good news. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. If there is, it's a train. There's nothing good coming. There's no hope. There's no deliverance. There's nothing uh, that they can enjoy. And and yet something shifts. Disappointment keeps us aware of our pain. It keeps us aware of our situation. It's self-focused. But lament is a biblical practice where we acknowledge what's around us, we acknowledge our heart, and then we say, but God, I'm trusting you. That's biblical response to disappointment. We look at our heart, we look at what's going on, and we say, but God, I'm going to trust you. Look at this. My soul is downcast, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, because of the Lord's great love. The person who's writing this is reminding themselves of God's incredible love. They're going beyond their situation they're going beyond self-pity they're going beyond injustice they're going beyond disappointment they're going beyond anguish they're going beyond wandering and affliction and bitterness this is not to minimize what they're going through what they're going through is rubbish but they're saying but god hasn't forsaken me disappointment is dangerous If you're disappointed, notice what's going on. Our complaint can become a conviction. Our conviction can become a condition and we're stuck being disappointed. God wants to turn that around so that we lament and lament contains worship. Lament contains an honest approach to God and we recognize what's going on. We're honest about our heart. We say, but I'm trusting you for the God of all the earth will do what's right. Thirdly, doubt. That's the third thing you look for. Exercise, diet, smoking, I can't remember what the others are that the medics look for, but doubt. Injustice, disappointment, doubt. It's another thing that comes to attack our hearts. And I can only imagine what Joseph would have been thinking as he's wondering, where's God? Where is he? And we forget the privilege as Christians of having the Bible. This is Genesis 40. So it's tradition that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses isn't born yet. So Joseph doesn't have this story written down. He hasn't got the Bible. He hasn't got the Psalms to look at and to look at where David was upset. He hasn't got Paul's journeys to look at. He hasn't got anything. He's got nothing written down to go to. He can't get his phone out and scroll through verse of the day. Oh, that'll be encouraging. That's great. I'll have that one. There's nothing. He's got nothing and he's on his own all he's got is the stories that his dad told him that's it and his dad has the stories that his dad told him and the experiences with God he had he had nothing with him there's no evidence either of God speaking in this passage that we're looking at in Genesis Joseph knows what the dreams mean We don't know how he knows it, but there's no audible voice mentioned. There's no prophetic word mentioned. There's nothing. And Joseph's here in a a prison seemingly on his own, and yet we read that God was with him. And I want to say God's with you when there's no tangible evidence of it, when you can't see anything, when he's not speaking, when you go to the Word of God and, uh, uh, and it just looks like word on a page, God is with you. When you're aware of anything else that's going on, God's with you. Dave and Finch, just think for a moment of Joseph, not yours, this one, in prison. He had nothing other than what his parents had told him. I just want to encourage you and anyone that's got an influence over another generation, whether that's as a, an uncle, an aunt, a brother, sister, grandparents, what you leave is really important for Joey. What we're investing in the next generation is really, really important. Pray for our kids and our young people, please. Uh, some people are so caught up in leaving a nice house or a nice 11 cent of money, it means nothing. But Joseph is here in prison. All he's got is experience passed on for another generation about what God meant to him. And so let's pass on a legacy of faith. Joseph hasn't got a clue what's coming next. He doesn't know, and we love certainty. We love certainty, and doubt does things in our hearts that challenge. Uh, and there are people who read the Bible today who are challenged by these kind of stories and stories of people getting sick and people suffering because they read them and they uh, we want certainty we want to know well what's all this about and why is this happening and what's going on and how could this happen to me people write all sorts of theories about why these sort of things happen the bible tells us to trust the one who's the author of life we might wonder, where's God in our trials? He's with us. Our situation doesn't limit God's work in our lives. Joseph is anointed and he's appointed despite his current position in prison. So my encouragement, if you're doubting God, if you're doubting him, is to trust him again, to get beyond those doubts. Don't try and look for rules. Don't try and look for formula. Some people look at the suffering that's going on in in the world and, and There's there's two opposite schools currently around in churches today that are are taught. On the one hand, we have some who would say, God is good. The song we've been singing, God's good. Therefore, it's impossible for God ever to to cause anything that feels like harm to us. It's impossible for God to cause any sickness ever, and he never has. And uh, that's on the one side, because it makes people feel comfortable. There's a definite rule that God has to keep to. And I'm concerned about that because I don't think God has to keep to any rules. I'm concerned about that because the Bible clearly gives examples when he did make people sick, and it's in the Word of God. He doesn't do it often, and I don't believe he does it now routinely, but there are examples when he has. And so to say God cannot makes me nervous because I don't like saying that God can't do something. On the other hand, there are people who, who say, well, God does everything in, in the whole world, so God makes everybody sick. Because that gives certainty, or it makes everybody well, it gives certainty that God's in control. Because there's a sense that if anything happens that God didn't purpose and design and choose, then somehow it's outside of his control. And I don't think that presents a biblical picture fully either. That God causes every child to get sick and die that ever gets sick, sick and dies. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches us. And so you've got these two opposites where people are saying, uh, well, we, we want certain people to know why is this happening? Well, it's either God does everything or God can't do this and it's the devil or something. And in the middle is this position which seems more biblical, which is where you go, God is in control and God is good, but this stuff's happening and I'm going to pull those bits of truth and hold them together and go, God, I don't know why, but you are in control and you are good and I'm trusting you right in the middle. And I think that's what the Bible presents again and again and again, this perspective that God is never out of control. There are never things that are happening in the world that God can't work together for the good of those who love him. He's never taken by surprise. He's never caught off guard by anything that happens. There's nothing that you can do or I can do that makes him go, oh, wasn't expecting that. What do I do now? He's never out of control in that sense at all. And he's always good. But in our trials, he's God which is why singing that was important today. Finally, oh, this is the one we hate the most. Waiting. Joseph's in prison. He interprets these guys' dreams. He tells them to remember him when they go. This is what happens next. Just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Joseph says, remember me when you go back to Pharaoh. Remember me when you're restored And then the next little verse, which is the next chapter on, says, When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. And you know Joseph might be getting called for now. Two years passed. Two years of wearing the wrong coat in the wrong place. Two years of serving through disappointment, through injustice, through doubt. Two more years. He's already been there quite a while. He's 17 when, as a young man, he goes off looking for his brothers at his father's request, gets sold into slavery. He's 30 when he goes into Pharaoh's service after this. It's a big gap. And we're in this middle, kind of this end bit, two years, two years more, two years in the prison, two years in the dungeon. What are those times when God doesn't seem to be answering our prayer? When he's not even said no is the traffic lights aren't red and they're not green, but they're just amber. And we've just got amber. It's, amber's frustrating. Because red, you know. I'll stop. That's fine. The only time it's frustrating is when you're at one of those roadworks and there's nothing else coming or one of those pedestrian crossings and someone's crossed, they went half an hour ago, they're home having a cup of tea and you're still sat there. Come on. But amber, you don't quite know what's going on. How long am I going to be here waiting? And for some of us, God hasn't answered in the way that we wanted yet and nor has he said no and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting how do we respond when we're waiting it's possible to see the wait as imposed or to see it as a gift from God Joseph I don't know how he's responding to it but he's treating it like a gift from God He's treating it as if God wants to work in him during this period of time so that he can be different, he can be transformed, and his life can be ready for what God wants to do next. That passage in Lamentations I read when I was talking about lament earlier, it ends like this God's mercies and compassions are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. When I'm at traffic lights, I feel incredibly passive. I'm not doing anything. When you're waiting, you're passive. And yet, biblically, waiting is active. I will wait for God. You're not sitting around going, come on then, God. You're letting God work on your life, letting God shape your heart, letting God deal with the stuff in the quiet place, in the secret place that needs sorting out. Joseph needed some stuff sorting out. When he spoke to those guys and said, I'll interpret your dreams, he said, tell me your dream. This is the two guys in prison. Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. When he goes in front of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's had a dream. Joseph's response is this, I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Two years have passed between those two statements. In one, Joseph's saying, tell me your dream. God can do it, but tell me. In the next one, I can't do it, God can. Two years of waiting. Two years of preparation. Two years of God working on his heart. Two years of him continuing to serve. And maybe there's stuff that God has got for us that we're not ready for yet. Let's wait actively. Let's wait and hold on to God. Why this message? Well, because I th- it's the next chapter we're looking at, but because I think we need a heart checkup. I'm the doctor today. Not Doctor Who, not the doctor at the surgery, but I'm the doctor opening up the Word of God and saying there's four things that are risk factors for your heart. How are you doing? And it's not your diet, your exercise, your smoking, all that sort of stuff. It's how are you doing with injustice? How are you doing with disappointment? How are you doing with doubt? And how are you doing with waiting? How heavy do these things weigh in your heart? Are you wounded by them? Are you grieved by them? Are you carrying them? Are we affected by them? Because if we are, there's a response in this passage which shows us an answer to all of those things. There's a danger that our hearts become hardened to God. And this is my desperate plea based on Hebrews chapter 3. And with this I'll finish. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. My prayer is that we might all make it to the end, that we might make it to the end of our days, proclaiming him and loving him and knowing him, that we might finish well. And to do that, we need to make sure that the stuff of life isn't affecting our hearts, just like eating the wrong food affects the arteries around our hearts and, and our arteries can get hardened. And then we need stents or treatment and my prayer today is that we're not letting our hearts get hardened. That before God, those things, we recognize them, we deal with them. And like Joseph, we commit to serve him and have faith. Can we pray together? I wonder if we could have the band on the stage again, please. It's okay. Is that all right? Can we stand, please, if that's all right? I want to pray. Because I've been talking today about the stuff that's common to all of us, every single one of us. I'm I'm not going to do a response for who's been disappointed, because every one of us will be. Who's had an injustice? Every one of us will be. Who's doubted? Or Every one of us has. Who's had to wait? Every one of us has. That's not the issue. The issue isn't the circumstances. The issue is the damage done on the inside. And, And whether we're settling to just remaining under those things. And if we are, I think it's time to Repent. And say, God, we repent of the stuff that we've held on to beyond trusting you. Because today's a day to trust God together. Today's a great day, a great opportunity to turn around from those things and say, Lord, all these things have come, but I don't want them to be my master. I want to acknowledge your goodness in this day. Would you pray with me? Let's call out to God if that's affected you in any way. If you're aware, of issues in your own life that need to come before God. Let's use this moment now and let's pray together. Oh God. Oh God. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd bring to mind things that we need to get dealt with today. This would be a day of doing business with you. Where actually if we've carried an injustice or a disappointment or a doubt or a period of waiting and we've begun to blame you, we've begun to make ourselves the judge, we've begun to make ourselves God, then Lord, we repent of that. But first, we need to bring it to mind. You need to bring it to mind for us. And I pray, Lord, if there is stuff there that we need to put behind us, you'd help us. Lord, if we need heart surgery today, would you do that on our hearts? Lord, where we've been carrying stuff that might affect us going forward, we don't want to be stuck in a prison. We want, like Joseph, to be ready for the day when the key is turned and the door is opened. And we're ready for what you have next for us. Father, I pray that where there's been uh, disappointment, it wouldn't lead to bitterness. Where there's been doubt, it wouldn't be persistent and lead us to have a lack of faith. Lord, where there's been injustice, that it wouldn't lead just to us telling our own story and trying to be judge. But we would begin to hand that over to you and trust your judgment of all the earth. And Lord, where we're waiting, I pray that that waiting would be like a pregnancy where it's like a preparation period where you're doing something good and productive and positive in our lives that we would bear fruit. Lord, would you work in us, I pray. Forgive us if we've held on to that stuff for too long, but we declare freedom today. We declare that you are the God who's in the prison. You're the God who's in the wait. You're the God who walks with us and calls us to trust you with renewed hearts and renewed energy.